Good afternoon and good evening to the rest of you. We are back for another episode of Bitcoin Magazine Live. It is I, your host, Q, coming to you from my mother's basement. And I'm joined yet again by my co-host, P. We're joined exclusively by Brian Armstrong lookalike, Alex McShane. Uh, and today's special guest is none other than second best FIFA player in all of Bitcoin Magazine and BTC Inc., chief of staff of BTC Inc., and like, I don't know, some guy that I know. Brandon Green, how you doing? Uh, well, you know, starting it off with uh, lies really just goes against what you said of uh, this being a, you know, truth-telling zone. Uh, I am the best FIFA player in all of Bitcoin. So it's nice to, nice to be on the show with you guys and, uh, uh, you know, nice to set that record straight right off the bat. To be honest, I'm kind of surprised you don't have the trophy just like hanging up in the background somewhere. Uh, it's actually, right now it's at David's place. Uh, so... He actually put it up on a, his like China mantle of all of his like nice dishes and everything. So, you know, it's, it's in a prominent spot. I'll let you decide. We can either continue the conversation that we were just having and we can clue in the rest of the audience on what it was that we were talking about, or you can take us back to the early days of BTC Inc. Uh, we'll start from your early days and then I'll force you to tell us stories from even long ago before that. But the choice uh, is yours. I mean, you're the host, man. You just got to tell me what, which, what we're doing here. All right. Well, I want to hear more about Brandon Green. So you're going to have to tell us from the wee days of Bitcoin Magazine when you first began some uh, half decade ago. What was, when you first started a Bitcoin Magazine, what was your exposure to Bitcoin like? What was your knowledge of Bitcoin before you started here? Yeah, so I started having literally no clue what Bitcoin is. I mean, I'm like less than helpful amounts of knowledge. I, I thought the wrong things about what even Bitcoin was. I thought you mined Bitcoin by like going onto websites and like, you know, inspecting the element of the websites and there would like be Bitcoin hidden in there. I had no clue how this worked, right? Uh, but uh, I had a free summer and uh, I was from Nashville where our headquarters are. And so I hit up uh, David and Tyler, our co-founders, and was like, yo, I've got like two hands and, uh, you know, an eagerness to learn. And if you guys need boxes moved around, like I'll come move the boxes for you. And they're like, come on, you know, let, let's do it. So uh, the rest was history. I uh, immediately got kind of thrown in, asked a bunch of questions, learned a bunch about Bitcoin, yada, yada, yada. Uh, ended up, this was like May of 2017. And uh ICOs started to become a thing. So uh, intern me like wrote a paper or like an article on ICOs and what they were and like what they meant. Uh, and it ended up being like featured in law review articles and like <laughs> uh, NASDAQ, like all these different places, which really ripped the veil off the fact that like no one knows what they're talking about in this space, or at least no one did know. Maybe we have some expertise now, but back in that day, I had I was like a week into understanding what Bitcoin even like meant in a very foundational level. And I was being quoted in law review articles. So, yeah. We can now fully say that it is all Brandon Green's fault that Bitcoin Magazine ever strayed from any non-Bitcoin related content. You heard it from his mouth. I am not spinning up lies here. So there's that aspect of it. And then on top of it, this is just a gentle reminder that even the, the biggest names of whatever mainstream media or whatever law review journal that you think is a credible source, 
that their sources are probably just the intern who wrote up a quick thing to impress his boss and his boss didn't read it. And so now all of a sudden that's being touted as though it's some legit credible source like that two page document that a bunch of undergrads wrote that apparently everyone thinks is a legitimate case as to why proof of work is bad. Anyways, Alex McShane, I turn it back over to you. I was just going to say back in those, you know, 2017, were you, uh, were you vying to release Brandon coin or kind of where did you stand? What did the money excite you? Did all this, uh, capital hey. flowing into Yeah, no, I mean, uh, uh so I never like really understood even what, uh, uh, what was going on because like we were in the middle of ICOs. I think like, uh, basic attention token had just been launched like, uh, 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 Augur, the the prediction market token, just launched, like all these kind of really early ICOs. And I just like wrote an article basically synthesizing like all of these things are happening. Therefore, like this is happening. One thing I will say uh, for posterity's sake is ended the article by saying uh, this will all most likely end in tears. So, uh, you know, feel like a, a nailed the it. prediction there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's been a long, long arc of being uh, right on that in a lot of ways. So, yeah, but dude, you know, early, early Bitcoin magazine and like early Bitcoin in general, there wasn't this fundamental understanding that like the rest of crypto was going to be so parasitic. It was going to be so annoying. Uh, like all of these were new ideas that were being like fleshed out in real time. And to be able to look at it from like the front end and say, there's no way any of this works is like, it's, it was a difficult, like no one was really saying that. Right. And so uh, that's why all of these outlets, Bitcoin magazine included started by covering everything going on in the entire space, because it was all just kind of derivative stuff of Bitcoin. Uh, and then only really in the latter half of 2017, 2018, did it become like really distinctively clear that like, no, Bitcoin was, was kind of doing its own thing. All the rest of this is kind of like different uh, and like not worthy of kind of being reported on even in the exact same breath as Bitcoin. So it was very much like not a intuitive fact, although it is today. Uh, at the time, it was like definitely something that you had to kind of learn by just sifting through all the BS. Now, at that time, did you differentiate with your own, if you want to share with your personal investment strategy, or did you just kind of all see it as, as fair game? This is how we increase our Bitcoin stack or like, where did you stand from like the, the maximalist perspective? Yeah, no, I became a maximalist probably towards the end of 2018. Uh, but going into like all of that, you know, I didn't even know what Bitcoin was in 2017. Right. Uh, uh, I made way more money on, on, you know, the shit coins du jour. And like had most of my wealth kind of spread across the, the industry. It was only as things started to contract and as you had to actually look critically at where you were holding your money uh, or your value, did you kind of start to realize like, oh, yeah, like, I don't even know why I'm touching all of this shit. Like, I need to just be holding Bitcoin and, and nothing else. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, that, that ended up getting reflected in the prices of all those assets. They all declined tremendously against Bitcoin, like we're seeing right now, hint, hint, wink, wink. And uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, Bitcoin shines in bear markets. So, uh, you know, it's a lesson that I think you have to learn in a bear market. Otherwise, you, like the data that you're looking at doesn't really reflect the opinion you hold. Well, that's the quote, Bitcoin shines in bear markets.
Pia, I think I cut you off. I'm really curious about the what your experience was being kind of on the inside of the the switch from or switch to Bitcoin only. That's something you know you and I worked really closely together, but we haven't really talked about that. I'm super curious what your experience of how you and David Bailey and the rest of the company came to that decision to really focus exclusively on Bitcoin as opposed to the larger market. Yeah, totally. So this was the end of 2018. All right. Uh, uh, just so you guys even learn this, right? 2018, like beginning of it, we landed these giant contracts with these ICOs and, and shit coins, uh, you know, multi, multi-million dollar kind of like one-time contracts. And from that, we scaled up, I don't know, five, six, seven different business lines uh, that were supposed to like kind of meet those contracts. Uh, but none of it was recurring. All of these projects that we were like servicing ended up failing because of course they did. Uh, and, and like, we ended up, ha we went from maybe, uh, uh, when I started eight employees to 85, 90 employees. And then by the end of 2018 had, you know, pared down to probably like 25, 30 employees. And the reason was, is like, you know, it wasn't sustainable. Like all, the entire market wasn't sustainable. And so, you know, we were in a dire place. While that all happened, our Series A fell through because the market collapsed and, and uh, you know, no investors wanted to actually write the checks they had promised. And so, uh, uh, like, our funding dried up, our contracts were all, you know, sunsetted, and we were, you know, staring down the face of potentially going bankrupt. And so the question was, like, if we're, you know, if the story of our company was that we chased a bunch of money and uh, got the money, spent it, and failed. Like, that's a sad story. That, that's, a, that's a company that didn't accomplish anything. And so at the end of 2018, we kind of uh, uh, circled up as, as kind of the remnant team and said, look, like, if we're going to go broke, if we're going to go bankrupt, let's do it working on something we actually believe in. Uh, and that's Bitcoin. And it's always been Bitcoin. But, you know, it, it was just, we were kind of clouded out by the money and by, you know, chasing the shiny objects. And so, uh, uh, you know, David and I sat down, uh, we wrote a blog post called Make Bitcoin Fun Again. Uh, uh, this was coming off of kind of the, the fork wars that happened in 2017, 2018. There's all this animosity in the space, uh, uh, you know, way more toxic than anything we see today. I mean, you're talking about like shouting matches, truly not believing the person you're talking to is a good person. Like it, it was, it was unhealthy. Uh, and so crying and it was awful. Yeah. 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 Roger Ver, like uh, uh, flipping off, you know, on, on live. It was, it was crazy what we went through. And so we were like, you know what, this entire space is magical internet money, right? Like the meme of the wizard, right? Like that's the embodiment of like what made this so much fun to be in. There's no platform for that anymore. So can we become a platform for people to see Bitcoin, just Bitcoin, and appreciate how crazy awesome it is that we are trying to meme this, this global currency into existence, right? Uh, so we wrote Make Bitcoin Fun Again. Alongside that, we launched Bitcoin 2019, which was like a callback to, you know, the Bitcoin 2013, 2014 conferences. And we were like, BTC Inc., we're Bitcoin only. We're throwing all kinds of shit coins. Anything that's not Bitcoin, focused on Bitcoin, is now outside of our purview. And, and like, that was a, 
uh, uh, contrarian bet to say the least, if not like we were kind of one of the first, if not like the first to kind of do that. Of course you had like Blockstream and you had some other companies who just like never kind of touched the shit coins, at least publicly uh, uh, at all. But that was because like, you know, their entire line of business was, was Bitcoin dev shop, right? Uh, so in terms of companies that had like really run the gambit, media company, like we're covering all this stuff, right? Like we were the first ones to basically say, we're going Bitcoin only. And then we created the platform and then the community rallied. We had a great time uh, in San Francisco, 2000 people at Bitcoin 2019. And, and it was a signal, man. I mean, it was like, even if Bitcoin 2019 didn't succeed, the environment there, the excitement that people had about having a place to talk about Bitcoin, uh, uh, you know, the companies that came out of that, like Swan came out of Bitcoin 2019, uh, a couple of other like, you know, well-known companies, I think, uh, I don't want to say this on live TV if I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure like River and like some of these lending companies all, all sprung up around like conversations that came out of Bitcoin 2019. So, Walmart, you know, it, Walmart was one of them too. Walmart, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, CVS and Walgreens all now. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was like the, 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 like the signal was clear. We had to keep doing this. We had to lean in, go in all, all in on Bitcoin. Uh, and so we were like, we're going to take Bitcoin 2019 and we're going to make Bitcoin 2020. And it's going to be 4,000 people. And it's going to be back in San Francisco. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to do it in March of 2020. Uh, and then uh, COVID hit and everything collapsed. And uh, we almost failed again as a company. Uh, but we, everyone who was working at the company at the time, we all went on furlough for a month while we kind of uh, uh, operated and secured some funding. And the folks who kind of stayed around or the folks, you know, the infrastructure upon which like everything that we've built since has been built on. So uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a really, you know, like this is why a, a bear market down to like 30K, I mean, this is nothing guys, like uh, uh, we're doing fine. I remember the day that uh, in 2020, when Bitcoin collapsed from like 8K to 3K, uh, that was tumultuous. That was exciting. You know, that was something that really got your blood pumping. So yeah, guys, you know, uh, uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin's taken off. I mean, it's crazy. I want to throw something out for just everyone to maybe think about, but it was just announced today via someone posting it on Twitter and I'm going to treat that like a credible source. Uh, that Apple has discontinued the iPod. Uh, this started back in October of 2001. It was an item and product that completely destroyed and disrupted an industry. Uh, I bring this up because obviously, as we talk about Bitcoin as technology that is going to absolutely destroy, demolish, and obliterate an industry. Uh, Brandon, I'm curious, just sort of what in the climate that you see today right now off of this recent collapse in price dip in price whatever you want to call it bear market my favorite term right now versus like the decline in 2020 or even like the decline from those peaks in 2017 to the lows that we saw in 2018 like what are you noticing different out of the community out of bitcoin twitter uh and what's the same good question so I would say first and foremost, it's been less volatile, uh, both to the upside and to the downside. So, so that's cool. You know, I have this broad critique of like the Bitcoin uh, community that came in in like 2020, 2021. So, you know, the way that I kind of see it is that 
pre-2020, Bitcoin was seen as this like both asset and platform uh, uh, like that can build so many things. Like Bitcoin, the asset is just like one facet of Bitcoin, the technology, right? But when, you know, the money printer started going burr and inflation became like the number one worry in a lot of people's minds, the, the narrative around Bitcoin really tightened to just focus on Bitcoin as this, you know, inflation hedge, like just as this digital gold, like savings account, like, you know, all of the kind of narratives that really onboarded the classes of 2020, 2021. Uh, but Bitcoin's so much more than that. I mean... You're talking about like at the same time as that narrative propagates, you have uh, uh, El Salvador make it its legal tender. Uh, and now you have Panama, Central African Republic, Switzerland, you know, like all these places, Lugano, uh, all these places are like looking at Bitcoin as an actual currency uh, and something upon which kind of a, a foundation of a, a, you know, governance structure can be built and an economy. And so you know, that's why most people who got into Bitcoin early got into Bitcoin. It wasn't about hedging against inflation. It wasn't about it being some monetary asset that's useful in a portfolio. It was like, we can build a new world on the back of this one system of discerning truth and, and confirming transactions. And it's like, dude, I mean, we need to get back to that, I think, as a community. Uh, uh, because I think from that, a lot of new innovation in Bitcoin can, can kind of be created on layer twos and whatnot, and Lightning Network. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fundamental to, to Bitcoin. If you're looking at other things that have changed, you know, obviously the amount of uh, leverage in the system uh, ha is very new. You know, uh, I remember when the futures markets first got approved in 2017, uh, it was like December. If you look at it, I think December 8th, 2017, uh, maybe maybe right uh, 10th, maybe uh, the CBOE announced that or like launched Bitcoin futures because they they tried to like beat the CME by a week, uh, even though the CME was the one that had like long been said was going to be doing Bitcoin futures. And then December 17th, CME Bitcoin futures launched, and that was literally the top. Uh, and and it was it was crazy to watch. I mean, the day that the CME futures launched. Bitcoin started going down. Uh, and the reason behind that's kind of obvious if you really think about it. Uh, and, you know, we can divert into everything that happened yesterday with, you know, our everyone's favorite stablecoin, uh, uh, UST. But like, ultimately, if you're not interacting with the base asset of Bitcoin, you're kind of creating fake liquidity around it. And you're creating a perverse incentive model and you're kind of delaying a, like every buy is really just delaying a future sell at that point, because you're not using Bitcoin as a currency, you're using it as a speculative instrument. Like you're not even using really Bitcoin at that point. So, you know, all of these futures markets, all of these derivatives markets have absorbed vast quantities of liquidity, which had they just been, you know, put into Bitcoin at the base layer and taken off an exchange, like we would probably be sitting at a different level in terms of like price and adoption and, and all these things. So, you know, that's also been a really interesting sort of uh, uh, facet of this market because I can just ramble for hours. I was unsure if that was McShane trying to talk to us or someone else, but uh, I do want to maybe, no, you're fine, dude. Um, I, I wanted to get a sense from you, just like we're, we're watching Tara fall apart we're watching all of these altcoins all over the place that many bitcoiners many bitcoin maxis have attacked very relentlessly over some time 
I know that you spent your early days here on the dark side, dealing with ICOs and looking into all of that. Like, couldn't you make an argument or couldn't you make a case that as more and more of these sidechain products, or sorry, not sidechain projects, but like all these altcoins and shit coins continue to pop up. Like we haven't really seen the end of the ICO craze. Like no business is necessarily doing it the way like Facebook wanted to introduce a coin, but you're still seeing like VC money pour into projects that in turn create a cryptocurrency. So do you feel like we've really deviated from that or we just sort of put a new flavor, put a new sort of costume on the same old issue? I think definitely the latter. I mean, you know, a lot of these projects are just derivative projects of things that were invented in 2014. Like, you know, nothing, there, there have been some new things like, you know, some of these decentralized exchanges, uh, uh, like that was new, uh, that was interesting. But, uh, you know, stable coins have been around for a while now and uh, clearly have been a little bit more stable than the ones that have been invented more recently. The Terra thing was, was fascinating, all right? So here's a base take. Uh, here, you know, uh, I actually agree kind of with Udi to this to a large extent, but like Terra and MicroStrategy are very much similar plays. Uh, they are both basically taking debt uh, and, and using that to purchase Bitcoin, right? And basically rewrapping something that's not Bitcoin in an orange foil. Now, you know, if you wanted to create, like, just make a quick distinction, you know, MicroStrategy has cash flows. MicroStrategy has reason to have value outside of its holdings of Bitcoin. Whereas uh, uh, Luna and Terra, like, all they ever had was people speculating on, on, like, you know, buying it because they thought it would go up in price, right? So clear distinction to make there. But uh, uh, when you look at like what happened, really, I mean, the more the information that comes out, it looks like really Ken Griffin uh, uh, and Citadel just like nuked the thing, which is pretty, pretty wild. Uh, but but he was pointing out like a really obvious flaw, which was you know uh, they were they were printing more uh, uh, Luna, they were using that to buy Bitcoin, uh, uh, you know, and basically devaluing. The entire ecosystem by doing that and hoping that Bitcoin was going to, you know, go up in value and like be a, a way by which they derive more value for the system. And Bitcoin went the opposite direction, and uh, uh, it got to a point where, you know, it was really easy to just nuke the entire thing with one big sell order. So that's that's what they did, and you know, I think that that has pretty much been a nail in the coffin of this and any other project that tries to copy it. So, you know, like. Uh, I was gonna ask. I don't want to get a, get ahead of myself, but I I was gonna ask kind of just where you stand, kind of with the uh, maybe BIP one one nine or some of the more the changes that someone like an Udi or or a Jeremy would argue for that should come home to roost on Bitcoin. But but maybe maybe we'll get there in, in a minute. Yeah, yeah, we can get there in a minute. You know, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Terra, but basically, like uh, uh, you know. They were an algorithmic stable coin that was doomed to fail because it was always going to operate perfectly within your 95% confidence interval. Uh, but markets, markets are markets don't only operate in 95% confidence intervals, they also operate in 5% confidence intervals. And and this was yesterday was a scenario where we were very much within that 5% window that no one expects really to happen very often. And that's where the system breaks. So uh, you know, they've broken, they'll never recover. Uh, uh, you know, UST is dead. And, uh, 
you know, maybe they can be a stable coin at like 20 cents or something like that, but uh, they're never going to be, you know, like they, they've all, they've lost all their legitimacy. Another uh, proven concept that's proven not to work. Like this is a, a disproven concept, I guess. Uh, so, you know, add it to the graveyard. Do you see, do you see value in stable coins for populations that experience um, wild inflation? I mean, here at home, it's kind of hard for us to imagine a use case for them sometimes, but somewhere like uh, Venezuela, where like your life savings can't really tolerate the volatility of, of Bitcoin, maybe you need to exit into something like a dollar for a while or. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter if I see value in it, uh, people are using them, right? Uh, so, so clearly there's value to them for the people who use them, uh, especially in like other worlds where you know, like what is a stable coin ultimately is a long-term uh, uh, decline in value. You know, it is a predictable decline in value long-term that you're sacrificing for short-term reduction in volatility. Bitcoin is a short-term volatile, long-term valuable uh, uh, thing. So in a lot of ways, like stable coins are actually the inverse of Bitcoin, but uh, uh, you know, they can serve their own sort of usefulness. Obviously not all stable coins are short-term vol uh, non-volatile, UST being the perfect example, but you know, like if you, if you want to sub out that for like a USDC or a, a Tether. So, you know, like uh, I think what's really interesting about stable coins, uh, and again, you know, don't want to take too much time on this, but there's an argument to be made that uh, if Bitcoin and stable coins are what are looked at as the ecosystem of crypto, quote unquote, then uh, that's really good for Bitcoin because stable coins are a um, useful tool for governments uh, uh, to like protect their own currencies. And so, you know, like there's an argument to be made that for the U.S.'s uh, national security interests, that they should be protecting Bitcoin and they should be protecting crypto at home because these stable coins uh, and Bitcoin act as a uh, functional alternative route to something like the Chinese digital yuan or a central bank digital currency. And so, you know, if you see central bank digital currencies like I do as being these, I mean, maybe quite possibly the most evil tool for authoritarian control ever invented, uh, uh, then any sort of anything that can undermine that becomes valuable to every other country that doesn't want this uh, central bank digital currency to, to become the world reserve currency. So. You know, uh, uh, the whole system, I think, is going to uh, continue to evolve. Obviously, you know, I would never put stable coins as a investment or as a tool to actually build something useful for the future in the same category as Bitcoin. But, you know, it's an interesting component of the, the broader ecosystem. In your opinion, what is right now the reason why I am stacking sats so cheaply? Oh, uh, well... We had all the suits enter the space. I mean, the obvious, this, this is the boring answer, right? The suits entered the space. The suits started trading Bitcoin as a, an investment, uh, a risk on investment. It mirrored and correlated highly with the, the tech stocks and kind of risky uh, investment class. Uh, the Fed started quantitative tightening. Um, and then, you know, all risk on assets dropped uh, uh, as liquidity got sucked out of the system. If you wanted to make a scathing kind of critique on, on really what we're watching, it's once again, we've misdefined inflation as CPI, whereas we've really been creating inflation for the past decade through quantitative easing. Uh, it's only that the inflation is now being seen in other parts of the system than just assets. Uh, 
But stupidly, uh, uh, we're like, all right, well, now that commodities are experiencing inflation that we've been causing from our money printing, uh, we're going to start kind of deleting at least the, like the digital remnants of the amount of money that we created. And what does that do? Well, you know, you're basically, you're, you're only adding and pulling from this bucket and then it's leaking into the rest of the buckets. So if you start pulling from this bucket, it's not going to pull from these buckets, right? Like, cause it's only leaking into those buckets. Instead, you're just going to like decrease the amount of leakage at the expense of just wiping out all the water in this bucket. And this bucket is called assets. All right. So we, we are just completely fucking our entire financial system for the sake of trying to like quell inflation that really has already existed in the system. It's just being repriced in other parts of it. So that's what we're watching. It's like uh, we, we think that we're in control of the system when really we're like pulling the wrong levers in the first place. That's the only leverage we have. If we have the hash rate nearing its all time highs, we're seeing more miners continue to get plugged on and push this hash rate higher and higher. You see the miners expand. We're seeing use cases for lightning to continue to pop up. And Bitcoin as a whole continues to grow on the protocol side, but we are seeing this market decline due to many of these factors that you've shared. I'm kind of curious, has this separation of Bitcoin price action and movement and just development of Bitcoin as a whole and the ecosystem, have they been separate like during that like downswing in 2017? Was it a similar fashion? Was it, hey, miners coming offline or hash rate is coming down and that coincided with the price decline? Yeah, I think to an extent they've always been separate because Bitcoin has just followed a cyclical price structure. You know, halvings causing uh, liquidity sucks, which then uh, causes you know demand to be reflected in the price, which then it gets speculated on, and eventually you have a blow off top and then a downtrend again. So, uh, uh, you know, I think that that's been obviously the the way that Bitcoin has grown for the past, let's say, eight years, ten years. Um, we may be leaving that structure pretty soon because uh the halvings are uh like the changes in inflation rate are becoming smaller and smaller right so uh, uh there's an argument to be made that we're going to start seeing kind of uh, uh dampened you know uh, uh bull swings and also dampened bear swings i think though like you know uh, uh you're right that the price doesn't really track adoption can and especially like on the fringes it does but uh you know Adoption is measured by new wallets, off-chain uh, transactions occurring, on-chain transactions occurring, uh, countries adopting it, like all these other things. And so, you know, uh, uh, all of those have been trending upwards. So, you know, there's there's no real worry in my, like, this is not Bitcoin going away in any, like, matter of fact. Like, it's just, uh, uh, you know, a macro environment playing with prices of literally every asset in the world. So. Bitcoin, Bitcoin remains bullish. Um, Bitcoin remains bullish. Yeah, I mean, to that point, I was looking at the the hash rate is due for a difficulty adjustment in the next couple hours. It's supposed to go up 5.5%. I mean, anything up or down 5% is considered pretty normal. But like when you're going even above it, I know it's slightly, it's considered a lot. I mean, when you're thinking of as the hash rate's growing, 5% of a larger number keeps getting to be a larger number. So it's some exciting stuff. I know the price goes the other direction. So it makes some miners less profitable. Uh, who sees if there's a difficulty adjustment down in the next adjustment, but it's really interesting to see that it's still growing. Yeah. So, you know, the mining sector is really fascinating. Uh, uh, 
I'm, I'm super bullish on mining in the long term, but I would say in the next six months, we should expect minor capitulation, uh, which should be pretty uh, uh, fascinating to watch, especially as once again, there's all this leverage in the mining sector. So like I said, there's leverage in you know the Bitcoin uh, system through derivatives and lending and like all that kind of crap. And then at the same time, you now have leverage in the mining sector where most of these public miners have bought their uh, uh, ASICs on loan uh, uh, or they're you know paying their power bills by ASIC collateralized loans. And so you know they have all of this kind of pent up um, you know, 5% confidence interval sort of uh, action that can happen, which therefore like will happen. It, it's just, it's known that that's going to happen. So what's going to happen basically is you've had a delay in the supply chain of, of miners being delivered for the past two years, basically due to COVID. And so uh, miners are continuing to be delivered that were ordered like a year, two years ago, right? Uh, and so when they ordered them two years ago or a year ago, they weren't pricing in China banning Bitcoin, you know, all these new miners coming online, you know, everything that's happened uh, that basically has created a different environment than, you know, what it was when they first ordered them. And so what that means really is that they're going to continue to be delivered past a point where it's profitable to plug them in. Uh, and, and then you're going to see this giant, um, well, two things. Number one, you'll see miners start shutting down because uh, you know, the ones who have cheaper access to power are going to keep plugging in while the ones who have more expensive access to power are going to get crowded out and they're going to have to start shutting down miners because like, the power is too expensive and they can't mine Bitcoin profitably. So you'll see that come offline. And then uh, the, the value of the ASICs at that point in the secondary market are going to drop because uh, you're going to get all these ASICs that are basically like, they're just going to sell them in order to just make money off of them. Like they can't plug them in and mine profitably. So why are you sitting on them? When that happens, you're going to have all of these ASIC collateralized loans become under collateralized because most of them are, are, you know, let's say it's two to one. Let's say it's some of them are one to one. I know some of them are one to one. Like if the value of the ASIC drops below the money that you lent to them, uh, you're going to need like a, a margin call. Well, how can you margin call when it's an ASIC collateralized? You know, you're going to like make them collateralize more ASICs they don't have. It doesn't make any sense. So then you're going to probably run to some weird, like, I don't even know how these financial companies are going to like do it. I'm hopefully they have some sort of like recourse built into these contracts, but uh, yeah, it's just going to be a giant sell pressure on the mining side. that's going to cause capitulation at that point. Anyone who's been like, man, I really want to mine Bitcoin, but the ASICs are so expensive. That's going to be your entry point because uh, they're going to be selling for dirt cheap and uh, uh, you know, you'll be able to plug them in, start mining. And as long as you have a long time horizon, you're going to make so much money off that. Do you mine or do you have a personal interest in mining, Brandon? Uh, you know, I have a business interest in mining. I think uh, eventually Bitcoin Magazine should get into the business of mining. But, uh, you know, like I said, now is not the time to get in. Um, the, you know, I have played around with ASICs before, but I've never mined seriously or, or even like kind of non-seriously at home with any with any, you know, consistency. I want to, unless someone else wanted to ask or dive deeper onto the mining of things, I wanted to actually talk El Salvador for a moment. All right, cool. I'll give you guys all a second to chime in there. Um, so you, I believe, and correct if I'm wrong, were very helpful in Bukele understanding or I think getting... 
explain your relationship and dynamic with El Salvador, Bukele, and their adoption of Bitcoin. If it exists, if it doesn't, my bad. Yeah, so I'm basically Bukele's best friend. No, uh, uh, really limited kind of uh, uh, exposure. When the El Salvador announcement happened uh, in, in Bitcoin 2021, Jack Mallers came to us and this was like the week before the conference. And he was like, yo, I need 15 minutes. I need 30 minutes. And we're like, Jack, you know, it's, it's like a week before the conference. We can't do that. He's like, I know you can't do it, but I need it. And we were like, uh, what do you mean? He said, like, I need you guys to sign a bunch of NDAs and then I'll call you tomorrow. Uh, and so he like sent over some NDAs. We signed them. We were all like speculating what the heck is going on. Uh, but like, he was very clear that he knew what he was asking. So the next day, obviously he tells us what's going on. And, uh, uh, you know, everyone loses their mind at the company who's like finding out about this because it's like, holy, like no one even expected this to happen, right? Like this came out of nowhere. And then, yeah, I mean, the rest of the time was kind of just spent like making sure that we had all of the, the assets that, uh, you know, we were helping Jack kind of with timing and, and expectations of the speech. And, and yeah, I mean, it really came together. I had, you know, I can take almost zero credit. P actually knows the bouquet way better than I do. Uh, so he's, you know, he's our better liaison for the company. I actually have um, each of the brothers' faces tattooed on the inside of my wrist. No, that they're, uh, I haven't had any personal conversations with uh, the brothers of Bukele, but um, they were super great to work with. Uh, unfortunately, obviously, Bukele was not able to make it because of all this stuff happening in El Salvador right now. Um, but I also, uh, like Brandon, had nothing to do with them coming to understand Bitcoin, adopting Bitcoin, or anything like that. So do we want to talk about Bukele taking a break from a war on gang violence to buy 500 Bitcoin casually, which is his biggest purchase to date, I believe. Bro, why, does, why did he have to stop? He just pressed a couple buttons on his phone and took care of business. I like the idea that he was sitting on a toilet while he did that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's been a few months he hasn't bought any, I don't know. That we know of. Uh, so one interesting thing that I saw not that long ago is Bukele tweeted about Bitcoin in 2018. So to some extent... Like, I don't think anyone from our community, like, orange pilled him. I think people maybe helped him along his understanding. I know that he and Jack, like, met when Mallers was down there with Bitcoin Beach. But I think the dude just figured it out. Like, I would love to hear from him exactly how he came to understand Bitcoin, because surely he, like, you know, used someone's resources to, to figure it out. Uh, but, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I put out a tweet a couple of weeks ago, like Bitcoin succeeds in spite of all of us working on it. Uh, and I feel like that kind of rings true in El Salvador. It rings true with the Central African Republic. You know, like no one can really uh, put their hand up and say we did that either. Uh, uh, Panama, you know, like maybe Bukele had a hand in that, right? But like, you know, that was Bukele, it wasn't us. Uh, so it's kind of funny how it all worked out. I think that's true of most people too. I mean, I... I have a hard time pointing to one person and say, you know, this person orange pilled me. It's like there's several people like you have to touch Bitcoin quite a few times, but at the end of the day, you have to put in the work personally, you know, totally. and your network just supports you in that. What Actually, what let's talk about that. Like, what are some of your go to Bitcoin, you know, people, sources of info besides Bitcoin magazine, of course, uh, good follows. I don't have any like idea what Bitcoin is outside of the context of Bitcoin magazine. It's, it's my lifeblood. Uh, no, I mean, you know, 
going back to 2017, I made a few critical like Twitter follows that I think really helped me along the way. Tur Demeester, uh, very underrated dude in terms of like explaining Bitcoin. I think he was like kind of the first person who outside of obviously our company, like really was helpful in explaining how things worked. Uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, uh, you know, he, his videos were some of the best explainers out there. Uh, uh, you know, I wish he would for focus more on Bitcoin nowadays, but, uh, you know, he's still clearly like set to the part when he's talking about the rest of crypto. So, you know, he gets it. He's just, I think maybe trapped by audience capture a little bit. Uh, well, yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, those are probably two early on. Uh, Whale Panda was a guy back in the day who like uh, uh, was a good follow. Um, he retired like a few months ago from Twitter, didn't he? He did. He did. Uh, conveniently, like right around the top. But uh, <laughs> uh, Whale Panda was huge. Who else? Charlie Lee was big back in the day. Obviously, founder of Litecoin. Like I said, you know, like Litecoin was just part of Bitcoin at that point. Uh, uh, who else? Um, uh, yeah, so many guys. I'm trying to like pull out of memory. Vitalik, I, I emailed Vitalik a few times uh, just to learn like different aspects about Bitcoin. Uh, you know, the guy still gets it. He's just, again, trapped, like creating the biggest competitor to it, quote unquote. So, uh, you know, I think someday Vitalik is going to issue Ethereum and come back to Bitcoin full time, 100%. Yeah, I mean, he's pretty, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place for sure. Hey, that's super interesting. I want to dive into that a second. To me, it seems like he, he would never do that because even though he owns a lot of Bitcoin, Ethereum performs a very different function, right? Ethereum, the reason that Ethereum became so popular in my mind is because it allowed VCs and, um, and investors to basically apply the same startup mechanics that they couldn't apply to Bitcoin. And so I think that, you know, Ethereum, I'm fond of saying Ethereum is the, it's the uh, kind of, you know, gaping anus that all the shitcoins are shat out of. And I think that 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 is by design, right? It, it serves this market function. And the annoying thing for me personally is that, you know, they're constantly trying to like interleave Ethereum and Bitcoin. And basically Bitcoin is this amazing, pristine asset. And then there's everything else. And Ethereum is sort of like the largest tick that's like engorged on the back of a Bitcoin. But despite all that, I think it serves a market purpose that Bitcoin um, may or may not eventually subsume. But what about the mechanics involved makes you say that Vitalik will eventually eschew Ethereum? So I would say it's a couple things. Uh, uh, number one, ultimately the founder needs to step away in a way that like, you know, if, if Ethereum is going to succeed, the founder needs to like remove him or herself from it. And so it's impossible for Vitalik to remove himself from Ethereum uh, without basically like dying. Like, I don't know how else he can do it, right? One way would be if he was like, you know, like I, I think Ethereum has, uh, you know, diverted from what its true path and purpose was. And I think Bitcoin serves that purpose no more. And, you know, I'm going to focus my time on Bitcoin now. I think if Bitcoin develops like some smart contract functionality at like a, a lightning level or if you like, you know, uh, maybe the soft fork that like Eric Wall talked about that allows for like, you know, rollups on Bitcoin uh, uh, can happen. Like you can basically augment most of the Ethereum system on Bitcoin using Bitcoin's actual like security model uh, to, to secure it. And like, dude, 
again, this is a Brandon take, but the reason why shit coins are shit coins ultimately is because of securities laws and that everyone wants like no, save for a bunch of people, no one wants to actually make a worthless shit coin. They're trying to make something that's valuable, but ultimately for something to be valuable, it's going to not pass the Howey test. Like you want to, uh, uh, you want to have a company and like securitize your company, right? And like uh, tokenize it on on like an easy way to kind of distribute it to people. And you could program cash flows from the company through these these shit coins, like all that kind of stuff, right? Like that would actually be valuable because it's basically just a stock that's tokenized, right? You cannot do that. It is illegal to do that because of securities laws. And so because of that, all this crap that doesn't do that got created and then you know thrown on to, to retail investors. So like eventually laws will catch up, regulation will catch up. And like some of this stuff will become valuable. I hope at that time, it'll be functional to put that on Bitcoin. Uh, and, you know, in that case, like Ethereum doesn't really serve any purpose at all. But, you know, Vitalik will come back, I think, just because like Ethereum has already been co-opted quite a bit by those VCs you're talking about. Uh, and it's just like, it's going to get further co-opted by like the World Economic Forum and, you know, governments and like you know, all this. There's so many folks who want to control this space and Ethereum is their best bet to do it. And so at some point, I think Vitalik's just going to either like significantly step back or he's going to go back to Bitcoin. That's just my guess. Genuinely curious of your opinion on like what Sailor was talking about with Lex Friedman about this idea that to spend any human effort, energy, time, resources towards building out anything outside of Bitcoin is just a waste of those resources. But how do we differentiate like what needs to be built out on Bitcoin versus maybe what are bad ideas like stable coins or whatever Do Kwan's Ponzi scheme was? Yeah, I mean, experimentation is how you figure out what doesn't work. Like uh, that's, that's how we became Bitcoin maximalists here is we experimented with all the stuff that didn't work and figured out that Bitcoin is everything. Uh, so, you know, I, I disagree probably with the statement a little bit because building it all on Bitcoin, like, you know, you can always introduce perverse incentives that end up fucking with Bitcoin and you don't want to do that, right? So it's better to have some sort of test bed somewhere else that, that keeps Bitcoin uh, uh, separated a little bit. That being said, uh, you know, Will that separation always exist if, if some of these platforms get more kind of robustly built out? Maybe not. Uh, like maybe at some point, Bitcoin will have to deal with experimentation happening on top of it uh, in, in like reckless and unhealthy ways. But um, I think at that point, hopefully Bitcoin will be so big and will consume so much of kind of the economic activity of the world that uh, uh, the risk associated with those experiments is much lower. I think, I mean, you know, there's the the old adage, greater the risk, the greater the reward, you know, and I think also, again, it goes back to those perverse market incentives, as you said, are sometimes by design, right? Like you can do, you know, Stacks is uh, a perfect example, right? There's a lot of interesting stuff that you can do on Stacks. Now, from a technical perspective, um, I think Stacks is actually an interesting protocol. There's some novel things that, that the Stacks protocol implements. Now, that I have huge problems with the marketing of stacks and the sort of the terms that are used, you know, they refer to this, they, they talk about like mining stacks and really it's just 
I would define it as like, it's like a telescoping Ponzi scheme where you're just getting more people to buy in and then you're paying out. They have, they have all these, it's all, it's, it's all very obscured and intentionally kind of misdirected, right? Mm-hmm. But you can do a lot of stuff like Miami coin was built out on stacks, right? And then there's, you can, you can do that again, right? Like there was, um, well, anyway, I won't go, I won't go too much further into that. However, again, I think that there are already ways of doing that on Bitcoin, but I think that Ethereum has more market share and the people that are involved in Ethereum that pre-mined Ethereum, you know, a huge percentage of stacks was pre-mined as well. They have a huge incentive to keep Ethereum going. I, I just don't know how you overcome that eventually, you know, unless there's some way of kind of shifting all that market share and all that value over into these uh, alternative systems. Um, Alex, you look, you look very perturbed. What are you thinking? Working on a technical issue. To, oh, okay. <laughs> You're like, the most what? disturbing of, of how issues. dare you? Uh, uh, no, I mean, I, I think it's valid. I would just say like, uh, I don't think Ethereum, for instance, is long-term, like even a sustainable blockchain, right? Like the, yeah, I, I agree with you there for sure. <laughs> so, so it's already collapsing like, as we, as we watch people are like proof of stake. And it's like Ethereum 2.0, Ethereum 3.0, we're changing the jet engine in mid flight. And like, none of it works. And, you know, exactly, exactly. And like, you look at, you know, Solana, who I guess you, some people would say is like the next, biggest ethereum which by the way if you create an ethereum that's the next bitcoin then this set like necessarily you have created the framework by which you will be replaced by the next big thing so another reason why like bitcoin is is it because if you try and alter or deviate to create a new bitcoin someone will alter and deviate to create a new you uh this was also very well like uh, uh proven by uh bitcoin cash right like bitcoin cash said it is legitimate to fork off of bitcoin uh, and create something that like has different parameters around it. Uh, and, you know, by doing that, like we can become like a true Bitcoin. Well, what happened to Bitcoin cash? Someone took that exact logic and worked off and created BSV. So, you know, like all that being said, that's a, that's a total tangent, but uh, uh, you know, it's true with Solana, like, uh, like, dude, there, this is, uh, this has been said before. I'm not the right person to say this, but like there are uh, technical uh, requirements on, you know, the dissemination of information around uh, the world and just how fast light travels and how fast entertainment or uh, information travels. And I'm getting distracted by your uh, comments on here, but basically, you know, like uh, uh, Solana necessarily due to the speed of the blockchain and the time it takes to propagate a block will uh, uh, unravel and it'll keep doing that as long as people actually use it. And so like, you know, like it'll either have to centralize or it'll unravel. Those are the two options. That's what happened with like Bitcoin SV. It's like, if you have gigabyte blocks and you have, you know, uh, say they propagate every like 10 minutes, uh, uh, you have to get that block propagated across the entire system within 10 minutes or else some of the nodes are working off of a different block than you and they're mining the next, like it's, it's a nightmare. So, you know, like, yeah, exactly. It's like, we don't understand, like, there's limits, there's theoretical limits on, like, how decentralized the system can be versus, like, how much information it is trying to pass through that decentralized system. So, you know, all this to say, like, Bitcoin has made some tremendous trade-offs that continue to be proven time and time again to be the right move. Uh, and this bear market is going to prove that all the trade-offs were worth it because everything around Bitcoin is going to collapse in value. Bitcoin's going to trade sideways. It's going to get its market dominance back. Everyone's going to, you know, come to this conclusion like, man, maybe it really is Bitcoin. Like all these people who jumped into all the, the shit coins being like, there's really cool stuff happening over here. 
uh, you know, they're all going to be like, wait, maybe there wasn't anything cool. Maybe I was just making money in the short term. And really, I just need to get back into Bitcoin. And they're all going to be like, wow, now that I look back at it, I would have made more money had I just held all my uh, wealth in Bitcoin instead of trading all these other currencies, trying to get more Bitcoin, et cetera, et cetera. It's, I've heard it all before. I'll hear, hear it all again. You know, it's, it's uh, nature. Nature is healing. So at what price do you think we'll begin to start uh, trading sideways for like, think, if we give it a two year kind of time horizon on this? In, within two years, we're back in the bull market. Uh, so, you know, I think probably what happens is we will trade sideways here for a couple weeks um, around like maybe 30K to 33 to like 28, something like that. Uh and then we'll need one last giant nuke uh, just because like it, it feel, I haven't felt enough pain right now. Now, importantly, uh, after that nuke, we'll recover, you know, a ton of uh, like everything will break. Uh, like you'll see <laughs> Sailor have to capitulate something, right? Like, you know, I know they put out that like they won't have to sell anything until like $3,000 prices. I don't know what that actually means. Like he's going to have to capitulate in some way. Uh, that'll be a good signal that, you know, we've bought them. Um, and, but, but then from that, like, we will kind of be like cleaned out of all of the gunk that like uh, is impeding Bitcoin from succeeding right now. And then the, the most important part, the most painful part is from there, we will trade sideways for another six months. Uh, and there's going to be great news that comes out and uh, uh, we're not going to pump it all. Like, you know, you're going to hear uh, the president of the United States come out and say, like, I am a Bitcoiner and I want the United States to be Bitcoin only. And, you know, we'll get like a 2% bump in the price or something like that. And you're going to, like, that's what's really going to hurt. And then uh, towards the end, as we start actually gaining, but no one really notices, like maybe we're marching back from like 27K to like 29K, but no one cares because we're all in a bear market, right? that's when you'll start seeing some of these companies have to do uh, like major layoffs and like, you know, all of the, like the, the, the company capitulation is going to be beautiful. Now for us, like we prepared for this like crazy because we had to go through it two times in a row. So, you know, we're in a good spot, but you see it every time that like uh, uh, XYZ exchange lays off 15% of their workforce. And they talk about like, Oh, we made all these mistakes and we've learned, you know, uh, all of that will happen on the way back up towards the next bull market. Uh, and then what you'll start seeing is the inverse. You'll start seeing bad news come out and Bitcoin won't drop. And then you'll start seeing more bad news come out. And Bitcoin won't drop. It'll keep kind of marching up. And then, you know, we'll have a halving. We'll go into all-time highs and the cycle, the cycle repeats. So it's a beautiful thing. Hey, I like that plan. That's a very optimistic uh forecast i like that that's there's a lot of room for accumulation in that forecast a lot of room for accumulation but maximum pain yeah i i want you know you sweet summer children i want you to experience a true winter uh so that you can you know die a little inside and become numb to everything that happens so that we can all be numb together i think if we hit i think 15k i would i would start to feel sad a little bit Let's see. I'm Let's telling bring it, you, bring it's it on. 28K where we should start to get nervous. That is the line that I, uh, 
I'm standing what? by 28k, but I kind of want to break down. Is, is that where you got into Bitcoin? Or is that <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's your cost basis. I'm still. I mean, to be honest, given how your much I've been buying at such high levels, my cost basis is probably creeping up to around 20. But no, my first buys were the single thousands. And that does not answer the question, my friend. Dude, uh, I really like 21k for the meme. Uh, I saw Ben Carmen mention this. Like, I, I love that. If we were to bottom out at 21K, that would be amazing. Fringe case. Yeah. I, I like the way you framed your argument, though, because like the whole theory of what is going to cause maximum pain, and that's when we'll really know and feel the bottom of the market. Well, right now, I feel like personally, the biggest bag holder feeling the most pain is the market feeling the most amount of pain and that be micro strategy. However, they have to feel the pain, whether it's they need to put more Bitcoin out there to lower that cost basis, or if they just get called on some of their Bitcoin for being offsides, whatever that looks like. But I'm curious, like what we we're still so new to this idea of allowing publicly traded companies to hold Bitcoin on their reserves or on their balance sheet. Like, MicroStrategy did this less than two years ago. So I'm curious your thoughts from the perspective of the days when GBTC were just like getting forced over the line, as you brought up, like that was, that was the peak when, when we first introduced the futures contract in Bitcoin, like literally that was the peak and so ensued the next bear market. So I'm curious if, as we saw the bullish runs of countries adopting Bitcoin, businesses adopting Bitcoin, but now you literally have the biggest business, the biggest advocate of Bitcoin turning around and taking a leverage bet. Is that something that we might historically look back to and say like, this is, this was when we had like a short-term top and a very hard sell-off? Yeah. I mean, uh, are you saying like, what would be the top of the next bull market? No, like what- more, more from the aspect of Will there be lessons that we learn from this iteration of leverage of businesses getting involved both in the pub through the public markets as well as through the private markets? Like where, if any, do you think we are most exposed that will in turn lead us to look back to and say, hey, maybe let's don't do it like that again? Yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, it, it all, in my opinion, comes down to leverage. Like that's been the narrative in my mind of the past four years is that there's just been so much leverage that is built up in the system. Uh, and especially when you're going through quantitative hiding from a macro landscape, like leverage becomes incredibly expensive and it ends up being this giant overhang. And so, you know, if I were to say, what will be the lesson in the future, it'll be leverage. I think it'll be leverage in two places. It'll be leverage of people like Sailor or whoever, you know, using debt in order to buy Bitcoin. Uh, I think it'll also be leverage in the mining field. Uh, you know, to some extent, ultimately, Sailor is doing a speculative attack on the dollar. Miners are doing an, a speculative attack on Bitcoin. Uh, and so both of those, I think, will fail. Uh, uh, it's, it's a weird way to think about it, I know, but basically like miners are accumulating debt, they're collateralizing loans, they're, they're you know, accumulating debt in order to mine more Bitcoin, uh, which becomes more expensive for other miners to mine Bitcoin, even though they're just using debt in order to do it. Uh, and it like crowds out other miners who would, you know, participate in a normal way. And, uh, uh, and then ultimately it's unsustainable when the debt comes due. 
So uh, uh, that's kind of what I mean by that. I know it's not a clear uh, speculative attack, like, you know, what you talk about with like Pierre Richard and everything, but it is interesting. It is probably like one of my, my biggest fears in terms of like centralization of mining in the US is like, you know, there's so much access to leverage and capital here that you could really easily centralize mining here um, by just whoever, like almost like a Cantillon effect style, like whoever has the, the most access to capital can accumulate the most miners in an incredibly unhealthy and unprofitable way just to crowd out the rest of the mining industry that then makes everyone else capitulate before you know, it all unloads. But Sailor needs to experience pain. Bukele, El Salvador, I hate to say it, they're probably going to experience some pain from this bear market. And uh, uh, we will all have like become more hardened and more anti-fragile because of it. I think I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to do my own kind of speculative attack of a type. And what I'm currently looking into is, you know, why can't I as a human being just only eat cat food? I feel like if I did that, I'd be able to put a lot more of my funds into Bitcoin. I feel like, you know, it may not be quite as significant as what Sailor's doing or Bikele is doing, but I feel like in my own small way, I'd be. Dude, cat food is peak fiat. It's is like it literally amalgamated grain that you're just feeding into your system. Look, I already told P that dog food, canned dog food holds its value better over longer periods of time. So we need to figure out how to like quickly revert your savings from canned cat food to canned dog food here while he goes back to the metaverse in his cat avatar. I don't know what's going on. Like to have fun on the show. It's also really great to know that, like, you know, technically speaking, Brandon Green is like somehow all of our bosses. So I hope you feel like this is money well spent on this endeavor. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah dude uh uh i really next time i come back on here i expect everyone to have their own avatar uh you can't all be cats so uh you know figure it out uh brandon before we wrap up today uh i want to give you the opportunity to maybe say or talk about anything that we haven't discussed it can be bitcoin related or i'll even let you shit coin if if you so desire i mean we we kind of ran the gambit uh, I'm trying to think if there's like nothing interesting in my life uh, has happened over the past month. So uh, really, I've just been you know recoiling and recovering from our, our massive conference. So I don't know if I have anything uh, uh, big to to talk about. Uh, just you know, we're in a bear market, so uh, strap in relax, you know, uh, take your hand off the wheel, let Bitcoin drive. Uh, you know, it's not going to crash. It'll just, you know, veer towards a, a, a curve and you're like, Oh my God, we're going to crash. And then, you know, it'll, it'll gently steer back over and you'll be fine. Yes. Yeah, let Satoshi take the wheel. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure having you, Brandon, as always, your think boy rants are a plus some of the best out there. Well, I, you know, I'm really honored to be on the show. And I also love this P and Q dynamic. Uh, Like we have to meme the heck out of that because it's just like, what are the odds that we'd be able to get P and Q, uh, uh, you know, running, running the show and stuff. So thank you guys all, Uh, uh, everyone who watched. Thank you. And uh, yeah, to the moon, just a little bit longer than it takes. Can you can you illegally slip any information on Bitcoin 23, which by the way, pre-sale tickets are available. So be sure to grab them if you have not yet already, because tickets will never be cheaper than they are today. 
BG, can you incentivize them with a tease of some? I can, I can tease this uh, uh, within a month, all of your questions will be answered. Uh, the, the timeline is, uh, is set. So, you know, stay tuned. We got big news coming everybody's way. Uh, uh, team is hustling really hard on, on, you know, getting all the answers out there about what's going on with B23. So, uh, yeah, get, get pumped. Uh, it may, it may happen sometime around consensus. Who knows? Uh, uh, that'd be really mean if we did that, but maybe we're mean. I don't know. I think uh, what uh, Brandon's saying to us, Alex, we have to cha legally change our names to CNA so we can just, yeah. you know, just start yeah. stealing letters of the alphabet for it. Brandon, you can come back as B as well. I am B. <laughs> uh, I really want to get B at B.TC. So uh, I, I claim that before anyone else. You know, could someone update my email to be the four letters and two characters as well? That would be kind of awesome. Oh, yeah, it's coming. Appar apparently, we can also just do that as our resident what generation are Tyler and Dylan, like Gen Y? Zoomers. Zoomers. They're Zoomers. As the Zoomers taught the resident millennial at Bitcoin Magazine how to change their email address. So, Dylan, get your ass back to America. That is all. <laughs>